Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Let me read this passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we study your word today, Lord, there's a, a severe warning. Lord, not everyone who believes that they are a child of God truly are. Not everyone who's called upon your name is known by you. Lord, help us to allow your spirit to, to examine our own hearts, to know for sure if we belong to you as your children. Guide us in our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has got to be one of the saddest comments found in the scriptures. When Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me. Now, if I was a false teacher, I probably would not be preaching this message today. This is a difficult message to preach. We look at chapter 7 as a whole and what Jesus, especially in this last half of the chapter, he's dealing with, are you truly my child? Are you truly a child of God? Are you truly saved? And he began by describing the wide path and the wide gate versus the narrow path and the narrow gate. He basically says, you know, most people are following the wide path that leads to destruction. The narrow gate is narrow, and few find the way, and it is the only path that leads to life. Now, I don't know how much clearer Jesus could say it, but saying it in those words, the narrow path few are following. And it is the only way that leads to life eternal. But many are following the wide path. Well, what is the wide path as we dealt with? It is basically the path that many believe that there are many ways to get to heaven. Either living a good life, doing good works, and earning your way to, to heaven. Or believing in just about anything with your heart would get you to heaven. And unfortunately, there are many who believe that just simply calling upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, will get you to heaven. We're going to find today that that's not fully the case. So Jesus is telling us about the narrow path that leads us to life versus the wide path that leads to destruction. And then he went to the two trees. One tree produces good fruit. The other does not produce good fruit or fruit at all. And he is basically showing the difference between following the, the true gospel that produces fruit unto salvation versus the false gospel, the false teachers 
that leads to destruction. Well, how do you know if it's false teaching? Well, you examine the fruit. Remember what Jesus said, they will be known by their fruit. So you examine them. You say, does what they, does what they teach match up to the Word of God? And are they preaching the whole Word of God? Are they leaving out some of the, the major things about like the deity of Christ, His virgin birth, His sacrificial death for our sins, His miraculous rising from the dead to overcome the penalty of our sins? Do they leave things like that out? See, far too many are following false teachers. Why? Because it's the easy way. See, there's no surrendering to the Lordship of Christ and you can continue to live into a sin-filled life without any conviction. You basically say, okay, I did one thing, and that is my salvation, and now I can live any way I want to. Somebody asked Paul one time, shall we sin all the more so grace shall abound? Here's what he said, God forbid it. That's, that's not how we live as a child of God. So we look and we see that Jesus used the, the two paths, the wide and the narrow, the two trees, the tree that bears true fruit unto salvation and the other tree that does not bear fruit. And now he's showing us that there is a problem. Not everyone who calls upon his name is truly saved. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, part of receiving God's gift of salvation is confessing the name of Jesus. How many times we have vacation Bible school or a revival service where basically the challenge is call upon the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. Well, that is scriptural. There's nothing wrong with calling upon the name of Jesus to receive salvation. See, there's confession of sins, realizing that we have sinned against God and our sins uh, separate us from God. But we look and Jesus is saying, that's not enough. He is saying, you have called out on my name. You have called out the name, Lord, Lord. Now, by repeating the word Lord, they were actually showing that they were talking about deity. They were seeing Jesus as deity, as God. Now, why, why repeat that word? Well, the simple word Lord was used often in their vernacular, and it basically meant anyone who had authority over them. Their master, a person who they worked for, uh, somebody that they owed, they would call them Lord. And so by calling him Lord, Lord, what they were doing is substituting what uh, we would see as Jehovah, Jehovah or Yahweh, which were two names of God that they refused to say openly because they felt that they were too reverent to even utter. And so they would use the term Lord, Lord to refer to Jesus as being deity. So let me ask the question, what's the difference between one person saying Lord, Lord and receiving true salvation and another person saying Lord, Lord and not receiving salvation. Here's the key. God knows the heart. He knows what is working in us. He knows the depths of a surrendered heart and life unto him, a heart that desires to live in obedience because 
of his love for them. And because the Holy Spirit lives with them and guides them in what they say and do and think and desire versus those who have a shallow heart, which basically only verbally claims that Jesus is Lord. Notice the difference. They're both calling out, Lord, Lord, but not all will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what he says in verse 21, Jesus himself is saying this. It's written in red in my Bible. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we look and we see what's next. He who does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. Now, we have to be very careful about this. What does it mean to do the will of the Father? Well, we kind of look at all the good things that we do in life. Ministering to somebody, helping somebody else in need, taking a meal to someone who's shut in or sick, uh, serving on a church committee. Many different wonderful things. But if you remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned a man that we probably, most of you remember, Jim Jones. And he began this sect, this false group, that believed that they were going to heaven. But he acted like a man of God. He did many wonderful good works, began orphanages, hospitals, many different ways that he ministered to the needs of people. And people called him a godly man. Yet God knew his heart and knew that his heart was just lawlessness because everything that he did was for his own personal gain. He wanted the recognition. He wanted the fame. He wanted the fortune. And he wanted control over other people's lives. So God sees the heart. God knows us. He knows what's in us. He knows what makes us tick. Do we do the good works, the godly works, for the approval of God, in honor of God, so that God gets the honor and the glory for all that we say and do? Or do we do the good works as an attempt to earn our way into heaven or to make others believe that we truly are children of God? So we look and we see that we must be led of God under God's control through the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God working in us and through us to do these good works for His glory. And that's the key. See, God knows the heart. So obedience is far more than just doing the right things and even in the right ways. Regular church attendance, giving of your tithes and offerings, uh, visiting a widow of shut-in, minister to them. All these are good, godly, religious things. But are they done for the right reason, with the right heart? Are they being done because God is urging you to minister to the needs of others? And you're doing it in His name and in His power, for His honor, for His glory, so that others will see the true love of Christ. What about deeds done in the name of Jesus? That's exactly what they ask. Look at verse 22. And many... Those who are wondering, are we not going to heaven? Many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Well, the question is, is it possible to do the right things the right way and still be wrong? The answer is yes. Jesus says that the answer is yes. 
See, we tend to categorize all sorts of miracles and, and religious acts as being of God. And to an extent, most of them are, but not all are. See, in truth, there are many miracles done through evil spirits. Do you remember way back with Moses when God sent him to talk to Pharaoh and he gave him the staff? The staff was his authority from God. And God told Moses to throw his staff down before Pharaoh. And do you remember what happened? His staff turned into a serpent, a miracle of God. Pharaoh's magicians, his age, threw their staffs down. And what happened? Theirs turned into serpents as well. A miracle of God? No. Miracles can be from God. They can be from Satan. Miracles also happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. In a prophecy. Didn't we prophesy in your name? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, the miracles, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Others can prophesy and predict miracles to happen. And they can come true, just as uh, God was telling Moses in Deuteronomy. See, Satan can do other types of signs and wonders. So we cannot put all miracles in the God category. Well, how about prophecy? Balaam was actually a chosen prophet of God until he went off on the deep end and decided, hey, I can make money prophesying and saying what the person wants me to say instead of what God wants me to say. And one of the kings hired him to curse the Israelites, but God intervened and caused him to bless the Israelites instead of curse him. But then Balaam turned around and, well, he led them astray, told the king, well, here's another way to get to the Israelites. Just invite them to be a part of the entire kingdom to, to Rub elbows with all the pagans, and sooner or later the Israelites did, and sooner or later they were worshiping the same pagan gods. But also, there were some unbelieving sons of Sceva, and they went around making money by casting out demons. These were not men of God. So, verse 22 says, Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, and in your name do miracles? Well, not only are some of these things done by Satan, by satanic, demon-possessed, demon-controlled people, but there are others that do things in the name of God. Some of his disciples came to him one day and said, Jesus, there are others who are casting out demons in your name, but they're not one of us. Let them do it. The power of my name can do that, even if they don't know me or I don't know them. Do you remember how Jesus sent out the twelve? He said, go out and minister in my name. And when they came back, do you remember what they said? 
They said, Jesus, we did miracles in your name. Do you know who one of those 12 was? His name was Judas. Do you think that Judas may also have cast out demons and done miracles in the name of Jesus? I think he probably did. So we look and we see, even though miraculous, wonderful things can take place, they're not all of the Spirit of God. So just because we see or hear something happening, don't assume that it's always of God. Instead, do we do things, do we see miracles, and do we attribute them to God because they truly are God, or do we see them and realize they're just simply practicing lawlessness. Well, Jesus comes down to here's how we find out if we truly are a child of God. How do we find out if he really knows that we love him and that we have committed our lives to him? How do we know that we are truly his? Well, we find out in this verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, when we use the word know or knew, it just basically means that we have an acquaintance with somebody. We know who they are. We can usually know them by name or know them by their status in life. And we know them because of who they are. We're acquainted with them. But when the scriptures talk about the word know or knew, it is much deeper than that. It really goes back to a, a husband and wife relationship where they know each other intimately. And the marriage bed is really what it refers to. An intimate relationship is what it talks about. Jesus, I'm sorry, back in Jeremiah, God tells him, Before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Even before Jeremiah was born, even before he was in the womb, God knew him. There was a special calling upon Jeremiah even before he was a twinkle in his mom and dad's eyes. We cannot comprehend that. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I never knew you. I never have had an intimate relationship with you. It is not my fault. See, Jesus died for all. He died for all to come to salvation. When Romans 10 verse 9 says that we must confess Jesus is Lord, that is the part that's missing. See, we can say, I confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And we say we have salvation. But just believing that Jesus raised from the dead to save us from our sins is important, but it's not enough. To confess Him as Lord is more than voice. It is more than just the words that you say. It's more than just saying, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Wonderful. Now, what change is there in your life? What evidence is there that you have made Jesus Lord of your life? Well, we look and we see that there has to be evidence. Here's what takes place when true salvation occurs. 
First, man comes to the understanding that he is a sinner, that he has sinned against God, and that his sins separate him from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. First part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. So he understands that this sin in his life has separated him from God. Then he realizes that he must confess that sin before God. Repent of that sin to turn away from it. But he cannot repent and turn away from it in his own strength. He cannot overcome the power of sin in his life just by saying, eh, I don't want to do that anymore. There has to be a relationship that takes place between him and his Lord. And that takes place as he confesses that Jesus is Lord of his life, her life, and the Holy Spirit of God comes in and begins to transform the heart and the mind and the soul into what God desires that person to be. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in, it is the evidence that true salvation has taken place. Because God's not going to leave you the way that he found you. He's not going to leave you in your sinfulness. He's not going to leave you in trying to live your life to, by the best of your own abilities. He's going to give you His Spirit that will work in you and through you to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. It's not us. It's not our power. It's not our ability to do that. But the Holy Spirit comes in, begins to transform us into the child of God. He helps us to develop a hunger and a thirst for His righteousness. See, we can go back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to the, to the Beatitudes where God wants us to, to mourn over our sinfulness. He wants to have a hunger and thirst for His righteousness. He wants us to develop the characteristics of God. Well, we cannot do that in our own ability. It is only through His Spirit living in us and through us that this is possible. Otherwise, we're just practicing lawlessness. We're just doing the best that we can, trying to do good works, trying to do what looks good to others. But Jesus is saying, I never knew you. He's basically saying, you have never developed a personal, intimate relationship with me. You've said the right things. You said, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner before God. I believe that Jesus wants to be Lord of my life, and I accept him as Lord. We said it. We say we believe it. But where is the evidence? Is there a true transformed life led by the Holy Spirit who lives and desires to live for the Lord in all things? Desires to live in obedience to his will. Well, can you continue to sin and not feel the strong, powerful conviction of his spirit saying you're on the wrong path? You're on the wrong path. You're leading yourself astray. Follow me and I will lead you back to the right relationship that has already been established. Do we truly know his presence in our lives? Do we have a hunger for His Word? Do we thirst so much that we desire to have this intimate time 
with Him through prayer. Is that a part of your life or is that, well, you know, not that important. If I think about it, if I have plenty of extra time, I might do it. Oh, I do it on Sundays. Isn't that enough? Folks, if your salvation is based on what you do on Sunday, you don't have it. You don't have salvation. If you don't worship the rest of the week, then you're not worshiping today. I never knew you. Depart from me. Folks, those got to be the saddest words in the scriptures. For Jesus to tell someone, I never knew you. Doesn't matter what you claimed. Doesn't matter how many times you called upon my name. Doesn't even matter if you did some really miraculous things in my name. You never have had an intimate relationship with me. And I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That's the condemnation that Jesus is saying. You've focused on your righteousness. I see your righteousness as filthy garments, filthy rags. And the best it's going to do is take you away from me for eternity. I never knew you. The question we have to ask ourselves today, does Jesus know us? Not just by name, not just because we have called his name out on multiple occasions, especially when we get in trouble, Does he have an intimate relationship with us? Does he really know us? Do we have this, this intimate relationship where we just basically have an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day, pray without ceasing? We just stay in contact with God through everything that we're going through, asking him for his wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding, so then whatever we're saying today, whoever we're saying it to, Whatever we're doing, He is the one through His Spirit that is controlling what we say and do, think and desire. Is that how we're living our lives? Or do we just call on God in the emergencies? God, I'm in a fix. I need some help. And then when you get past that problem, God just kind of gets pushed off to the side again. Today, the only day that you pick this up? How often do you pray? How intense is your prayer? How intimate is your prayer with God? Does He know you? A false teacher would basically just say, You have claimed the name of Jesus. You've asked him to save you of your sins. That's enough. Now go live your life. Eat, drink, be merry. Everything else is fine. 
You've got your salvation nailed down. Go back to that date where you said, I believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life. That's all you need. Folks, I love Vacation Bible School. I love that it introduces the gospel of Christ to many children. I believe that many of you probably, and maybe even, I don't know how many thousand, thousand, millions of others, have prayed that prayer in Vacation Bible School because somebody said, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want Jesus to be Savior of your life? And raise your hand and, okay, pray this prayer after me and you repeat the prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It's a good prayer. Nothing wrong with it. But is there any follow-up? Is there any continuation of what took place in that pew during vacation Bible school? Does anybody help them to understand the commitment that they're making to the Lord? Have they come to an understanding that it's more than just saying one prayer on one day of their life that saved them, that their salvation is a continuous process. It is building a relationship with their Lord. Now, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old struggles to understand that. But we don't. We don't have an excuse. We need to give our hearts and lives to the Lord. He needs to be Lord every day in everything. When he is, there is no way when we stand before him that he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. But if you're living your life where Jesus is somebody that you prayed to sometime in the distant past, and you'll call out on his name when you're in need, and, you know, I do some good things. People think I'm a godly person because of the good things that I do. Surely that's enough to prove that I'm a, I'm a Christian. But you have no hunger and thirst for his righteousness. You have no desire to surrender to the Spirit of God to lead you in your daily life. There's a chance that he's going to say one day, I never knew you. Depart from me. I pray that doesn't speak to you. But if it does... I'll stand down in front. You can call me later this week. I will set up a time where I can talk with you and help you to understand these truths. Not only would I be sad to find out that someone who's lived many years thinking that they were a child of God, not to truly be one, but Jesus be more sad. He died for you. He is the only answer to our sin. He is the only way unto salvation. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you realizing that Lord, we make salvation too easy. And Lord, we are too flippant about salvation. Oh, Lord, we, 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 we talk about the gospel. We talk about what it means to be saved. We talk about doing good things, being obedient to your will. Lord, many times we strive to be obedient and do the good things in our own strength and not yours. 
And Lord, we talk about you being Lord, the Lordship of Christ. Lord, too often we live our lives in our own manner, our own will, and not yours. Lord, help us to surrender anew today so that we can have a truly intimate relationship with you where you will know us and we will know you and your spirit will give us a hunger and a thirst after your righteousness so that each and every day we will live out our faith. Or may we be found faithful. Lord, our eternity depends on our relationship with you. May we be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.